Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven. Take it away, Adam and Tim. Hey, Tim. Uh, hello, Adam. I'm over here. Hello, buddy. How's it going, man? I was trying to go like the opposite of your hyper-enthusiasm. I was trying to be very bored, very Stephen Wright. Love podcasting. Mm. My favorite. Good yeah. times. So now we've morphed into Sesame Street. Nice. Hey, like we always say, we're five-year-olds trapped in the body of 50-year-olds. Um, oh, I'm going to go look at my dinosaurs again. <laughs> oh, dinosaurs. Yes. I have a T-Rex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, how's it going, buddy? That's all good. It's all good, you know? Uh, Still uh, enjoying the COVID years, I guess, as much as you can. We're in zone rouge, as they call it. So we're in the red zone, and uh, we're not supposed to have visitors. We're not supposed to do anything. Uh, Yikes. uh, There's no music. I mean, we were supposed to with my good friend Johnny Cool, who hopefully we will interview one day. I was supposed to head back into the studio or at least start rehearsing with him. And then the government said, nah, you, you li- he lives in Montreal. You live in St. Jerome. Your guitar player lives in St. Bruno. Not happening. Oh, so, boo. Well, yeah. to Johnny's credit, he sent me the songs that he, because Johnny does the best demos, which I know we'll have an episode about demos at some point. Yes. But he sends the best demos. Basically, Johnny gives you something that's pretty much up and running and says, I want you to give me something along this line with a bit of flexibility. So he sent me the songs, and he sent me the songs without drums, so I'm going to be tracking some stuff <laughs> in my home studio here. I'm going to record some drums, send it back to him, and say, is this what you are looking for, good sir? So yes. the bummer is that I don't get to get together with those guys who I haven't seen since February, and... uh yeah, but you know, let's save some lives, guys. Wear a mask. Don't be stupid. Yeah, six feet six feet apart. No harm in staying don't safe. Stay in your bubble. Stay in your bubble. Stay in your bubble. Like really, you know, you don't need to travel. So no. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, I'm glad at the very least, even though you have to be socially distant, that you're going to be working with Mr. Cool because that guy is. Damn, he's. I felt so amateur watching him play piano. It was. It, I was just sort of like, "What am I doing with my life?" <laughs> it's like just kind of that kind of moment. And he's such a humble and nice guy. And it just sort of is like, uh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. really good. Super talented guy. I do hope actually that yeah we can land him for a show because uh, everyone got to hear that dude, man. He's excellent. Speaking of like artists that we are fond of crazy keyboard guys Cra- particularly who, keyboard players yeah because yeah, uh, who, do, who doesn't who doesn't love a good keyboard player? no bias here whatsoever but no, uh no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no we we actually have uh today we're, we're gonna do a double mm-hmm. header because we had a really great interview last episode and this episode we have another interview with my very very good friend who i've known since the oh god the dawn of time uh, at least the early 90s anyway my friend jeff heisel since dinosaurs roamed the yes, earth yeah, yes yeah exactly my uh, now i'm gonna go play with my t-rex doll my friend <laughs> jeff heisold gratuitous interview he was originally from thunder bay and i met him years ago when i was in my band acid test on tour we'd stop through thunder bay play crocs and rolls and uh, i'm really super excited that we have this interview with him because he's a great guy mm-hmm. and super talented and without further ado uh, this is our interview with my friend uh, jeff heisel Jeff Heisold is a skilled and creative Canadian musician and keyboardist who can definitely be considered a true working player in the Toronto music scene. He spent the last 20 years on the road throwing down mad ivory playing skills with bands and artists like The Trues, Peter Elkis, 
Tara Lightfoot, Sky Diggers, and Burt Nelson Band. Jeff recently returned to his solo synthesizer roots, diving headfirst into a new project called Current Fantasy, which can only be described as a sonic smorgasbord of genre and style. An exploration of ambient and dance floor, Current Fantasy takes cues from Jeff's own musical electronic heroes, such as 808 State, Aphex Twin, The Orb, and Tangerine Dream. Jeff also streams his electronic improvisations live almost daily on Facebook, featuring a rather impressive modular setup and key rig, and often presents his streams from different areas in his home, including in his kitchen. He's a super talented musician and keyboard player, and we are really excited to welcome Jeff to the show. Hey, Jeff, how's it going, man? Hey, Adam, it's going great. Excellent, excellent. So I only just learned that there is a household lake on Texada Island, which is the island, like, if you stand at the top of Demon Island, where I am, you can see Texada, and, like, there's a lake with your name on it right across the way. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you ever heard of that, and have you been there? Yeah, I, I heard of it. I, I played Texada Island, like, 20 years ago in a community center some kind of uh, acid fest or something like that, but uh, we may have played the same one. But yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't remember sleeping, but I didn't know about the uh, the name of the lake at the time, uh, being I guess you know pre internet and such. And then you know eventually when you know you punch your own name in to uh, to the Google, uh, there it is, Hay Salt Lake. And so I, I haven't been back to Texada since, but. I've definitely, you know, got to make it there at some point. Uh, they, pro- they probably named it after you after that festival. They're pro- people were probably just blown away. The locals changed the name. Yeah, you know, it used to be li- named Lake. It's, it's very positive. It's it's it. It's actually a real shitty lake, and they did name it. After <laughs> you, yes. It was originally named uh, named uh, Lake Adam Percy, but they decided to change it. So uh, <laughs> time time for a change. Time for That's a change. It. It. Well earned. Well earned. So we mentioned in the intro that you've been busy the last few years. Uh, you do keys for a lot of different bands. Are you writing right now? Are you doing any recording currently? Anything like that? I'm doing, uh, I mean, I'm writing my own stuff, uh, which is just, you know, been been working on for the last year and a half. But we are just uh, about to head back into the studio with the Trues in a couple days. Oh, awesome. To, nice. Yeah, to finish, to, you know, we we were starting to get to work on a record and then uh, the pandemic hit, and it kind of all got sidetracked for a while. But we're we're just now, you know, able to get back in and get together. And uh, we got a couple days booked. This nice. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. So in comparing with your current project, Current Fantasy, uh, a lot of the people you work with aren't in that field whatsoever. So... No. Is it just uh, you're a you're a lover of all things music? Uh, is it that you you know this is where the work is? Is it a combination of these two things? Uh, what would you say it is? Because you know some people get pigeonholed into oh he's a honky tonk piano player and he only plays country you know yeah so what would you say what what is it what what is it with you that you can be, you know be one minute channeling the orb and then the next minute you know be playing keyboards for the uh, a piano for the sky diggers. It is kind of strange switching back and forth. Like when I went, we had a rehearsal last week and I was playing piano and organ. And I was like, oh, this is, uh, <laughs> these keys, you know, they're, they got more weight to them. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm actually a keyboard player. But I mean, I started off, I was a synthesizer kid, mm-hmm. you know, through the 80s, listening to New Order, Depeche Mode, and Howard Jones and stuff. Okay. And I was fully on that path of, of doing music. And then uh, I got into stuff like the Charlatans, which then made me buy an organ. Yeah, dude. And then I got into stuff like drugs, which made me get into the great. <laughs> and I started and I started playing rock and roll. Uh, and then that I did that for a lot of years, and you know, kind of made my name being a rock and roll uh, keyboard player. Knowing that at some point I was going to get back to the synthesizers, kind of kind of scared about it because I knew where it was going to lead, and. Uh, yeah, so it's all it's all always That's, been there. It's interesting you bring up the charlatans because actually, yeah, they they sort of came out of the gate as this uh, in the early '90s. There was that whole almost like 
60s throwback crossover northern soul and rock mm-hmm. ha- hammond heavy kind of sound but if you listen to a lot of their stuff now they're they're incorporating a lot of newer things there's a lot of dance music elements in their new stuff yeah when you do recording like with a lot of bands like the trues do you get to like use maybe more non quote unquote non-traditional organy piano kind of instruments do you get to break out a theremin every now and again or what <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I should. Uh I got one of those uh I got one of those uh Moog grandmother oh, dude. Sets, uh right when they came out. And you know, whether they like it or not, every band that I play with, uh I bring it nice. to the gigs of recording. I'm like, this is gonna I'm gonna play this because it's, you know, amazing. <laughs> I, I, I've been eyeing the grandmother, I'll be honest. My wife would probably be like our credit card can't support that kind of way, but I have been looking at it. What it was so so the grandmother you like is nice, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's like and it, you know, it was one of the things that uh, opened up modular stuff to me too because it's semi modular. You can patch it around, right? Yeah, and you're we'll we'll get into this a bit later, but you're definitely you're very clearly into modular. You've gotten quite the quite the rig, man, <laughs> that we've seen on your video live stream. So that that Mo, that Moog was your that was basically your gateway synth to modular, I guess, right? Is that the first piece of kit that you had that sent you down that path? It was. I also picked up the uh, Behringer yeah, Model D, okay, which had a bunch of patch points, and then quickly after that, I got their Neutron synth, which has a lot of patch points, right? But I wasn't really I wasn't really using them until like the with the Moog grandmother. The way it's laid out is it's laid out like modules. There's, you know, the different parts of the control panel on top are, uh, you know, they're colored differently. So it actually looks like the modules. And I was like, oh, you know, you just kind of patch one into the other, which you don't have to on the grandmother. But hmm. So what would be your go-to keyboard? Like going, going back to the rock thing. So you're with the Trues. Let's say they, they get yeah. the Canada Day gig next year at uh, in Ottawa or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you got you to gotta show up with one rig. What's the rig that you could do, do the show with? <laughs> uh so I guess the the one keyboard that I would say is is my keyboard is uh, the organ. So draw bars and Hammond organ is uh, is the thing that I kind of do. I I think the best. Nice. Do you do you have a do you have a, a yeah. Hammond like do you have a B three? <laughs> I don't ha- I don't have a B three. I have a, it's like an L one something and it's chopped in half it's the same organ i had back in the crocs oh, and rolls wow. days too. okay cool okay yeah nice nice well speaking yeah. of crocs and rolls hey nice segue <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah see that we sound professional <laughs> <laughs> we sound like we know what we're doing <laughs> so studio magic that's it that's it there's an edit right here um so you're originally from thunder bay you you met Adam right uh, during that time when Adam was uh, this young bleach blonde punk in acid test right? Well, you met him back in those days. Yep. Yeah. Oh uh, well, you know, funny enough, I might almost say that I'm here doing this because of Adam. So he's he's to blame. Uh, it was you know <laughs> he is to blame. I remember I remember being uh, you know it's like I hung out with your band when you came to town, but I remember being at Burger King with you and you were talking about touring and you were like man it's like when you get out there and you're you know you're touring you're gonna love it or you're gonna hate it <laughs> but you know it's like it's one of the one of those two things is gonna be you're gonna have a strong feeling towards it and as soon as I got out on the road I was always thinking of that and and it made me want to go on tour it made me want to leave my small yeah. town and uh, get out and do you know seeing seeing the bands that came through that was my glimpse into uh, the outside world mm-hmm. well uh, yeah. Thunder Bay's fairly isolated. I mean, I've been up there, and there isn't a whole lot around you, you know? <laughs> no. That must have been, like, was that frustrating for you? Uh, you'd see these bands come through, you're like, oh, from Montreal, the blah, blah, blahs. Oh, from Toronto, the DDDs. And you'd be like, damn, they get to leave. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was it some of that? Well, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, it, like, because I, I left Thunder Bay when I was, oh, how old was I? I was, you know, early 20s, so it's like while I was and I was seeing bands all through my teens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't really have the option of leaving uh, when I was a teenager. Right. But eventually, I mean, as soon as I could, I was like, "Uh, let's get the heck out of here. Okay. You know, it's funny because 
I remember when I, every time I would come to Thunder Bay, and I can't remember the name of this music store. I, I seem to recall it was on the same strip as Crocs and Rolls, where we always used to play. Yeah. Uh, there was like this little music store. I think you walked up these steps and you walked in. Anyway, I, I distinctly remember that this store had a lot of rarities, like weird Japanese imports and stuff, like from Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, be, and me sort of going like, I can't even get this in Toronto. Like, how is how are they getting this in Thunder <laughs> Bay, man? Like, what's going on with that? It it was that was uh, that was St James Stereo. It was right around the corner. Yeah, it was like it would take you like a minute to walk there from Cross. Right. Oh wow, nice. And for sure, searching out searching out those like imports and stuff. They it was awesome. Those bands never toured through Thunder Bay, so we never got to see yeah. them live. That kind of thing. But like. Uh, St. James was really good for getting some some great music in there. Well, we're going to probably stem into talking about Crocs in a second here, but this was something that always kind of grabbed me about Thunder Bay. Is, and, and, you know, I know, and you probably know now because, you know, you did a lot of touring as well, is that Thunder Bay is this flip switch gateway between the West and the East for bands that tour in Canada. Like, there really isn't a lot between thunder bay and manitoba and there isn't a whole lot between thunder bay and toronto no that there is actually this almost way station place i found every time i went there that like people who showed up to shows were gagging for it uh crocs always had really some of the best bands that were touring at the time were hitting crocs and rolls really regularly i i argue it was probably the cbgb's of Canada like it's up there with the horseshoe in Toronto or like the town pump in Vancouver it just was one of these places where something really happened and yeah I, clearly I think maybe it had a bit of an influence on you know a lot of the kids and or a lot of the people who were in Thunder Bay who like maybe like yourself who yeah definitely you know it's like I started playing there when I was 14 and so I was able to uh because I knew Frank Lafredo who ran it uh I could get into any show he'd, you know, if it was like, wasn't an all ages show, he'd still let me in. He'd just charge me double cover. Uh, but you know, I got to see every band that was driving across the country because you really don't have an option. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to stop in Thunder Bay. And if there's this great venue there and this guy that treats you good and feeds you spaghetti and puts you up at a good band house, oh, yeah. uh, then, you know, mm -hmm. those are the things you look forward to most on the road. There's, there's gigs where the actual gig part of it is like, eh, but we're like, oh, the restaurant downstairs is so good and they give you so much beer that, uh, you know, that's why we go back. Yeah, totally, actually. And, and I remember that band house that, you know, when you've spent 17 hours going around like the Great Lakes to get to Thunder Bay and you're really fucking tired. <laughs> and I remember the first time actually going into Crocs. If, if you've never been there, it was basically like walking into a weird restaurant with a stage at the back. <laughs> but like Frank was so nice. And yeah. yeah, he would like, I think his mom cooked in the kitchen and she made like spaghetti and it was the best spaghetti. And you were just like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and then and then he'd give you the keys to the band house and you actually had like somewhere to crash. It was great. Yeah, um, It was such an awesome, awesome room. There was a documentary made recently, Five Bucks at the Door. Uh, have you seen that yet? Yep. I have seen it, yeah. Uh, Kirsten sent me a, a screener copy of it a month and a bit ago, just before it uh, premiered out at, I think it was a Calgary Film Festival. Right. But I saw it, and I'm in it as well. I'm kind of like, you know, the kid who used to go to shows who then went on to become a, a musician. But it's it's fantastic. I really, really, I've watched it like five times. I really like awesome, it. Awesome, man. I bet there's a lot of, lot of nice nostalgia in there. Oh, yeah, it's like all the, there's... Some great old just, you know, photos of like crowd shots. And I was like pausing it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy and I recognize that person. That how many times how many times did you find yourself? Oh, there I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, none. None. I'm not, I'm not aside from in those shots I'm not in. There's some other. Is there footage of me playing? I don't think so. I don't even think there is. Hmm. But uh, that's not a bad yeah. thing either. So. How long have you been in Toronto? You've been in Toronto since you were in your 20s. Is that where you first went to from Thunder Bay? Or did you, was it a circuitous route via Yellowknife uh, or whatever? Like, <laughs> did, what, oh, Good question. Yeah. How did you end up at TL? What did I do? We, I started a band called Burt Nielsen Band in Thunder Bay in 96 or 95. 
And uh, it was me. I was the only guy from town. The rest of the guys in the band were all university students mm-hmm. uh, who had moved there and had been there for a couple of years. We started playing. Uh, there was like a, a Thursday night open stage jam night kind of thing that happened at Crocs. We started playing there, eventually decided we were a band. We played one of the last uh, big nights at Crocs and Rolls before it closed down. Right. And so we started this band and we uh, were playing. You know, we were doing very well in Thunder Bay and we decided, hey, let's try and let's try and go out and tour ourselves. We were lucky enough to meet uh, this guy named Steve Butler who was a booking agent, booked us a tour. We left and toured, and then we came time to go back to school, and we were like, well, maybe we'll just go on tour instead of, you know, finishing university. Okay. And that got us out. That's the thing that got us, me out of Thunder Bay, was going on the road. So I think we, we started touring in 98, left Thunder Bay in 99 at the beginning, spent the whole year on the road. I didn't live anywhere. 2000, we moved to Montreal. Oh, nice. Simply because we were like, uh, uh, where are we going to? We played the Millennium Show at the Comfort Zone in Toronto, mm-hmm. which was uh, this underground, uh, notorious venue. And we're like, where are we going to live this year? And uh, someone was like, hey, you know what? The waitresses at Le Swimming are gorgeous. Let's move to Montreal. We're like, yeah. <laughs> and we. I agree. They were. I, I've I've played Le Swimming before. Yeah, it's it was a nice place. Oh yeah, it was. So that was that was our inspiration for moving to Montreal. We lived there for two thousand. Then in the winter we moved out to Canmore so we could ski through the ski season and play <laughs> awesome. the weekends. Nice. Yeah, this was great. We're we gonna live now. And then uh, we left on tour, uh, moved to Guelph for the summer of two thousand one, mm-hmm. and then. To Toronto from there. So 2001, uh, I moved to Toronto in the fall. It it was a bit of a securitous route. It wasn't just like Thunder Bay, Toronto. Boom! I took the I took Highway 11 all the way there, and I'm good. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, we bounced around. Nice, nice. But we knew we I knew we knew and I knew that if I wanted to have a career in music, uh, that Toronto was where I had to right. be. Right, right. Yeah, no. That's why Adam and I both moved away from Toronto because we don't want careers in music. <laughs> <laughs> oh god no no <laughs> but uh what are you sort of listening to right now like uh what's kind of like turning your fancy locally in toronto right now well nothing right now but uh my <laughs> uh i was uh doing the uh current fantasy stuff uh, i still really haven't recorded anything specifically but uh, i was starting to go out and check out uh, the electronic music scene okay in toronto there was a, a monthly night that happened at a place called Handlebar called Frequencies that does, you know, three or four different electronic artists. And uh, it was a, a good time regularly going to those. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Just trying to see what see what uh, other people are doing live. Because, you know, you can go up and you can have everything kind of pre-ready and just hit play and do a couple things. There were some people who were fully doing it live so i was i was really curious to check that out and it's a scene that was so uh foreign to me still is i haven't been in toronto in a really long time and i know that before i kind of like got into bands and music there was actually a really pretty cool electronic scene that was happening i know like at the places like the rivoli and mm-hmm. you know yet you'd have like weird electro industrial bands like digital poodle and din and it kind of tapered off like there wasn't really a whole lot going on. And so it's, it, I don't know, it sounds pretty exciting, especially now. I think I could be wrong, but I sort of feel like there is a move away from a lot of electronic artists just kind of setting up a laptop and going, look at me, play a bunch of virtual instruments and mm-hmm. you can watch a guy stare at a screen on stage with, you know, video <laughs> projections. Yeah. And yeah. N- now you can very easily make really cool electronic music with actually you don't even need a computer if you don't want. There's all sorts of like really cool analog instruments now that let you sort of do that. Yeah. So I was, I, I have to admit, I was kind of wondering about how that's sort of carrying out in places like Toronto, it would be interesting to sort of see what kind of stage shows people are putting on with that now, <laughs> you know? Maybe it means the return of the guitar. You know, we've all been missing the guitar, right? It is. The, there is the return of the guitar. Do you have a guitar? There you go. Those things, I, 
<laughs> I rented one. Uh, so I've I had like the last six years. I had this uh, Sunday night gig at the Dakota right. in town with a band, The Mercenaries. Uh, just like a kick-ass R&B. Nice. Kind of like the Commitments on Acid oh, uh, band. Awesome. And we would do we would do anything. We'd play anything. We were like an R&B band. But one time I rented a guitar, stuck it in the back room, <laughs> and in the middle of the song I had an extra long patch cable uh, <laughs> set up and uh, ran into the back and plugged it in and came out. Like you know, playing it behind my head or something. Ah, or something nice, like and uh, and it was like it was uh, it was cheap to rent, but uh, within like a year after that, because I was like I should buy one of these, and the prices just kept on going up. Oh, they kept on getting hipper. Oh, that's yeah, that's the weird thing. Like I remember in the nineties, I was going and finding stuff like Mattel Sonics drums, you know, the little toy drum kit you could buy, the little four pads yeah. um, on eBay for like 80 bucks. People were dumping them. And Simmons drums. Yep. I was buying Simmons drums in the late 90s. I still have oh, them. Oh, shit. And I remember... I just love the look of those. Oh, things. me too. It was all just how terrible they to look. To see a kit with that, you know, that shape on it is like, well, yeah. And then I you like go that. watch something like Live Aid, the DVD, and it's like every drummer at least has two pads. So I get a kit for 200 bucks. You know, and I try to incorporate it into the sort of uh, Britpop band we were in, but it doesn't work because, you know, uh, until you actually start to fiddle with the sounds, which I hadn't done, I went for the classic Simmons sound, which was nobody wanted to hear that in 1998. It's like, you know, so we played around with it and managed to get like 808-ish sounds out of it, which were really cool. Mm. But I like you with the guitar, all of a sudden it's like, so I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should check out some of the other... Mo- Wait, why is it $1,000 two years later Yeah, for the same yeah. kit? You know, it's it still has all of the same intrinsic problems of Simmons drums, which is the clackety-clack sound of the concrete pads. And, you know, everyone's like, but it doesn't have MIDI. You can't use it. It has no MIDI. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's just like they priced themselves out of my range. And it was like, okay, well, I'm glad at least I got something. So that was the same thing for you with the guitar. People were like, oh, now it's cool. I saw a guy with a guy playing it somewhere. So now they're like $700 each. You know, it's probably a lot the internet that wound up uh, jacking up the prices of synthesizers. In 2000, when I lived in Montreal, uh, we went down. There was a pawn shop. Uh, on St. Catherine, and I remember going in there, and there was one of those old uh, Rollins, uh, like an SH with all the controllers kind of under the keys. Right, right. And I remember looking at the price of it, and I was like, this is ridiculous. And I kind of asked the guy, I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, this is really a lot for this keyboard. And he's like, hey, you know, yeah, we just charged the uh, price that we saw on eBay. (laughs) And I was like, ah, shit, it's it's over. I'm pretty sure a lot of this stuff is speculated. Like, there's people buying this stuff who don't actually play it they're just sort of like "Ooh, i'll get it oh yeah you know blow a bit of air on it clear out the dust bunnies and then flip it for 10 grand like i i have an sh1000 it's it's in rough shape probably needs a bit of a recapping i found it at a music store in like 99 Mm -hmm. it was tucked behind all the other keyboards because nobody would buy it and of course i see this weird wooden thing with these weird flip knobs and like yep how much you want for this and the guy's like i don't know i didn't even know we had that i don't know 75 bucks and i'm like sure (laughs) you look at you look at ebay now and that you can't get one that's broken for under 700 dollars it's insane it's why it's why all my gear is new. Yeah, it's like I, I like I have I've got a couple uh, old ESQ ones just because that was my first pro synthesizer and I love and it. Sonic. But everything I'm using in my current setup is all you know new technology. It's like it doesn't need to be recapped. It like stays in tune. Yes. And it's and it's still all analog and sounds, you know, still sounds amazing. And if it gets stolen or some loser throws a can of beer at you while you're playing a show, it's not prohibitive to replace, oh. you know. So it's not like, <laughs> oh. oh, my God, my 1973 Moog Apollo is trashed. You know, like, yeah. well, that's 20,000 bucks down the drain. This is like, oh, I'll go get another one, yep. which is, I think is really smart, yeah. actually. When they sound just as, yep. I don't know, that they sound great, man. I, I, I still have those feelings of like, oh, it, w- it would be lovely to have a proper Model D someday, yeah. you know, show off to all of my friends. But that's really, I think, all it would be for at this point. And you'd almost be scared to play it because, yeah, you'd have to heavily insure that thing. <laughs> I, there was one in a studio I was in last week, and uh, I didn't even turn it on. 
but I should have. But I was like, I looked at it. I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I know this panel. And I kind of played the keys, and I was like, yeah, it feels delicate. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's made of wood. This is so bizarre. <laughs> So let's, uh, I don't know, let's dive into your your new project, Current Fantasy. I, uh, I've i been giving that a, a really serious listen the last couple of weeks, and it's so cool, man. I, definitely, I hear a lot of the influences we sort of talked about in the in- intro. I hear a lot of orb that sort of just, you know, sit back and get begged and throw on some weird radio recordings and then beautiful arpeggiator analog and then just start bringing in some dance tracks it's really great man like excellent sounds dude i love it oh thanks so much it's fun it's like the thing that still i'm not confused with but uh is you know genres yeah i want to play everything nice i don't want to keep my tempos all at 128 it's like i want to slow it down i want to speed it up and i think that even comes you know it's like my first serious band burt nielsen band uh, we were a jam band, and we played every kind of style. Didn't matter. We'd you know go from fast to slow to hard to soft, and so that kind of carries over into this, where I've tried to like do a night where I'm playing and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep it all up tempo, and it's like ah, not it doesn't feel right, or even just doing it all down. It's fun to you know it's the arc of music. You want it to get exciting and mm-hmm. you know flow. Well, like do that. so yeah, like sort of tell me more about that because like. Again, up until recently, you were sort of doing this stuff live. You now stream it. But mm-hmm. when you were doing sort of your live nights, a lot of bands, when they do stuff like Burt Nelson Experience, yeah. will play to the audience. It's sort of like, oh, they seem really kind of hopped up and ready to dance. So let's just do a whole bunch of dance numbers. Or, exactly. oh, everybody's crying into their beer. So let's do some sad songs. <laughs> <or something." laughs> like, you know, But you're kind of bucking that a little bit. You're sort of like, well, no, this is actually kind of what I want to play. And I I hear that on some of your recordings. Yeah. Like you mentioned things like tempo. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of songs that I heard where, you know, you kind of started as this really round down tempo kind of feel. And then all of a sudden you, you're starting to feel the tempo kick up a bit and then kick up a bit and then kick up. And it sort of kicks up yeah. over like a minute and a half. And yeah. When you were doing live, would you sort of consider the audience or are you just sort of like, no, the audience is going to need to sort of experience how I'm kind of feeling it right now? A, a bit of both. I mean, I started playing live and doing this because I started buying synthesizers. <laughs> and uh, what did I get? I got, one, I got an OP1 Teenage Engineering like cool. early on as just something to have on the road with me. And I started getting like little mono synths. And then I, when I eventually started getting the modular stuff, then I kind of realized that was my, that was my wheelhouse more. Nice, it's because it's you know I can I can go in and I really have control. I can play to the audience. Uh, if you know if people are not up and moving around, I'm, I guess I'm not gonna play four on the floor kind of dance music. I'll keep it down. But if then you know all of a sudden people come in and start dancing, then hey, check it out. I can I can go with it and not be you know locked to. Uh, did you start this project as sort of a live experiment or was this sort of like, oh, no, I've got a pile of synthesizers at home. Let's make some noise. Like, <laughs> was the catalyst for that? I So, you know, I was buying a lot of synthesizers. I suffer pretty heavily from gas. Yes. Position syndrome. <laughs> yes. And so I hear you. <laughs> my music... My music room upstairs is uh, upstairs. I got two levels of a house in its own kind of space. My wife seldom comes up here, <laughs> but she walked in one day and she kind of looked. She looked around and she was like, uh, "Yeah, synthesizers." She's like, "Do you make any money with these?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, yes. And I was like, "Oh, mm, and, uh, yeah, t- tens of dollars, yes." <laughs> <laughs> so the opportunity came up. A friend of mine. I was bartending at a bar in town called Motel uh, that's owned by Danny Greaves from The Watchmen. Oh, cool. Okay. And so he, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great little spot. And uh, he called me one night and he's like, hey, you know, somebody canceled. Do you want to you wanna come in? And they had a, just a piano in there that I've gone in and played before. And I was like, yeah, I'll come in, but can I bring my synthesizers? Oh, wow. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a, a night of 
of you know just all synths and drum machines and he was like yep sure do whatever you want nice and so i uh basically just super crammed for a week and uh got together a set of music you know with room for improvisation and uh just some pre-ready stuff on my uh digitact yeah went in and did it and yeah this is you know can i come back and do it again yeah for sure and so that was like year and a half That's ago. That's awesome. Nice. So when you started these shows, did you have anything sort of, you mentioned this before, where like some electronic artists kind of go in with a little bit of pre-prep. Mm-hmm. Do you go in with things sort of maybe half ready to go and then just sort of improvise the other half? Or is it all just spur of the moment spontaneity? So when I started out, I wasn't uh, uh, experienced at improvising on the instruments. I knew them. I got a good handle on synthesis, but it really comes with knowing your gear well and knowing if you want to do something. That's I mean, that's one of the reasons I got into the modular too was that I was uninspired on a laptop. I wanted to, if I want to change something, I want to reach out, turn it and change it right like that. No menu diving and clicking around. No, no saved patches. But when I, Yeah, exactly. No saved patches. But when I started out, I had the Electron Digitact sampling drum machine. I kind of recorded a bunch of grooves into that, and I would kind of mix it stuff in and out, uh, have moments where I opened it up and played a little bit uh, over top of it. But it was really a lot of prepared stuff. Okay. But it was still different every time I went and did it. You know, it was like doing live remixing of my tracks. Awesome. I hear you with the idea of the knob turning thing, because I've kind of taken that approach in my studio at home that I'd rather, I'd rather as I'm sitting, listening to a performance and I'm, I'm thinking, well, how much reverb, how much this, how much that, instead of going, okay, let's open my plugin and hope my computer doesn't crash and let's get my mouse and let's move this thing and let's do that. Oh, I forgot to save it. Oh my God, everything blew up. I like just reaching over to to, to my unit and going, this, no, this, no. Oh, there it is. That's what I wanted. So I can can see that. That would be fun to watch, I think, too. Not just to hear you play that, but also to see you. You're not just, like you said, you're not just up there going, and space bar. You know, well, that's the thing, too, is that I guess, yeah, as people were saying, you know, it's like, oh, it's like there's a visual aspect to it. It's like to see you up there, I'll grab a patch cable and I'll kind of like hover like, ah, where's this going to go? And then I put it in there and then I kind of jump over to turn something else down. And there is the argument of going in, you know, it's like maybe the more stuff you go in with pre-prepared, the better sound you can get, because I'm also mixing everything Mm -hmm. as well. So it has potential to go wrong, <laughs> which there's always some kind of sound explosion uh, on, you know, on, on any keyboard that I play. I'll play I'll, at some point. It's going to go crazy. Whether the punters are having fun, too. Exactly. But it's like going up with a laptop and pressing play on your track and you kind of dancing along. Is you having fun? Then that's great. I think do what makes you have a good time. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's being fully in control of everything in the moment on stage or, you know, on a stream. That's cool, man. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Since I started streaming, I started off the first, like, you know, probably only week of doing it. I had run through all my pre-prepared stuff. (laughs) And I was like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to repeat myself. And so I started getting into preparing something new every morning before I stream. Nice. So I'll get up at like eight o'clock, have coffee, come upstairs for nine o'clock and spend two hours working out a new idea, you know, pretty much every day and then streaming and recording it. That's awesome. So it's shifted now when I do get back to performing live, which I'm going to do next Sunday night. I'm pretty excited. Be my first uh, gig back since the winter. It'll be a different thing because it's the gig has evolved for me. Right. Where is the gig? Uh, there's a place uh, in Parkdale that uh, just opened up before the lockdown, and it's uh, like a small small room uh, meant for you know kind of solo performers, uh, comedians, and stuff. But what they've done is they've kind of closed in their stage, so it kind of looks like a shower in the corner oh. <laughs> uh, oh, with plexiglass and stuff. Nice. But they have a great patio in the back, and they've got a camera that they aim on the stage and project the stage and audio 
onto a, a huge TV that they have out in the back on the patio. That's really cool. Yeah, they have a camera from the patio so that I can see the people on the patio while in the stage. That almost kind of weirdly lines up with kind of what you're doing. <laughs> like this weird sort of like, yeah. you know, here's we're I'm riding the technology uh, by the seat of my pants while I, you know, patch. I'm live streaming myself <laughs> 10 yeah, feet away. That's from it. Me. You're li- live streaming from another room. Yeah. 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 And I'm, yeah, I'm performing to people who aren't actually physically in the same room as me. That's like, that's crazy. That's, that's kind of neat in a really weird kind of way, man. Yeah. And now that you have the plastic around you, now you know how some of us drummers feel when they bring out the sneeze guard to put around the drum set. Oh, God. My, my Sunday night gig, uh, the drummer on it is Glenn Milcham from Blue Road. Oh, yeah, 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 I know him. He's, he's great, actually. Oh, he's fantastic. And so I, I was out uh, with Tara Lightfoot uh, opening up for Blue Rodeo a couple of years ago for a Western tour. And Glenn's off in the corner in his plexi cage mm-hmm. and playing all with blast sticks and stuff. You know, we always kind of rib on him about it. But then we both, the tour ended and we both went to a Sunday gig where the Dakota's a small room, but we still played you know, very loud. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I got to see him the night before playing behind Plexi to then going and not having it and just like, ah, <laughs> nice, nice. So no, I've <laughs> always hated the plexiglass, just how it's, it changes the sound coming back at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared about that. It's really strange for a drummer because for me, what had happened every time I was behind one of those, all of a sudden, all the highs got louder. So all of a sudden, my cymbals are way too sibilant for me. Yeah, you play different. And, the, you know, those the toms that sound really nice, boom, 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 are suddenly going thap, thap, thap. Ooh. And I, I I despise playing behind plexiglass. So that's why I worked on dynamics, kids. Stay in school. Work on your dynamics. But yeah. I don't know what it'll be like for you. And even for, you know, for vocal mics, too. Like, people singing behind them now, it's going to... Oh, that's weird. Like, you know, if you, have a, if you have a hat with a brim on it, that affects the way yeah. the microphone picks you up. So I can't imagine what, in a plexi cage, where you try to avoid reflective surfaces... Right, yeah. Oh, wow. ...on stage must be like... I'll oh, please you know. do, yeah. I'm curious, like, w- what your setup would be if it's... Yeah. Whether you're, you know, some somewhere in the gig you put headphones on just to eliminate all the weird crosstalk with... Uh, with the plexi cage. Yeah, uh, I might do that. I think I might try the gig with headphones on. Sometimes I have good ideas. Very rare, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and if it doesn't work, it's Tim's fault. Uh, yeah, blame me. Exactly. If it did work, if it did work, you know. If it worked, I didn't come up with it. You Thanks. came up with it. If it doesn't work, it's completely my fault. Blame the drummer. That's what it, yeah, that's yeah. what happens in every band. Oh yeah. So after this, hopefully this COVID thing goes away. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of hoping it goes away because, you know, having friends and loved ones die and having having to stay in your house all of the time and realizing just how awful your families are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. What what are we what do you think things are gonna look like post COVID? Do you think it's still gonna be a whole bunch of social distancing? Are you gonna be do you think you're gonna be looking out into a sea of people with face masks? What what's what's your prediction? Yeah, I mean it's interesting, you know, it's like I, I did visit Thunder Bay a month ago. So to go up there where there was very few cases, uh compared to, you know, being in Toronto, one of the worst places I guess you could be mm-hmm. through all yeah. this. I got to see what Thunder Bay was taking it, you know, still seriously enough. But uh, down here, yeah, you know, it's like it's going to I think masks, there's going to be all kinds of levels of it. There's because everyone feels different levels of comfort doing different things. So I think there's going to be people who, you know, myself, I'm kind of in the middle, but I'm still I'm still pretty cautious. There'll be people who won't be, you know, full COVID idiots, but they'll uh <laughs> They'll take more chances. There'll be people, you know, that we never really see out in public again. They're just, you know, like, well. You probably have a pretty good idea of maybe what musicians are doing now anticipating when this is all over. Like, what what are guys like the Trues doing for this? Like, I know I know bands have had to literally put touring off until yeah. middle of next year, man. Like, how are... What is sort of the game plan, I guess? Is there a general game plan or a consensus that a lot of artists are doing now to sort of ride this out and come out the other side? Like, what are people doing proactively to fix that? Luckily for me, I really like the position I'm in where I get to play in a couple bands that are, you know, super pro level. I got people, you know, packing my stuff up for me. 
and I get to ride around on occasionally on buses and do, you know, like have it real easy. And then the next night I'll get back to town and I'll go and I'll have to load all my stuff into a basement myself and play three long sets of music and, you know, finish late at night. So I'm not used to very good or very bad show conditions. So you know, through this, I think, you know, it's like guys like the Trues, they're not used to going in and doing small gigs somewhere, whereas right. I am. So it's like now as small gigs start popping back up, I can jump on it. I can go out and play, uh, whether it's, you know, just my own thing or with you know, a couple of different bands I play with in town. So I think I'm lucky in that, that there's really no area of live music. Hopefully I can go do one of those drive-in shows, which small bands, you know, don't really get the opportunity to do. No. And plus just being, uh, trying to be productive, you know, it's like, that's tough because it, in a lot of people's minds, you know, musicians who are at home doing nothing at one point, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like just being in the middle of a tour where there's nothing going on anyway. Right. And I just spend time at home. So I'm kind of used to that, but you're fighting with your head in your head about being productive about mm. it's like ah i can't just sit around i gotta do stuff but then you're like but yeah there's nothing to do right right like, well know, and that's okay. what i mean like are there sort of goals that you know a lot of people are maybe trying to get to at this point when you know you sort of don't know if if it'll even be possible if those goals will be met on a certain date you know nobody's sort of come out and said officially as of like January 16th everyone will have a vaccine and this will all be over like there's no there isn't any of that you yeah. it could be January it could be three years from now we don't know right so I guess what I'm saying how do you how, yeah. how does one prepare for that <laughs> you know you know of all the different levels of musicians that I know I think everybody is doing uh everybody's doing something different there's like some people who a couple guys who've been like yeah I haven't been able to get creative or do anything this whole time you know i'm just living off serve yeah. uh and you know waiting for things to come back to normal uh there's some people i guess maybe myself included who i started streaming in april i really didn't have any downtime i didn't let myself get unproductive i just kind of you know I, I stream at 11 in the morning so i kind of wake up and i've already do that right away and i've already accomplished something which then makes the rest of my day easier been driving my wife back and forth to work which keeps me from getting wasted during the day <laughs> uh, which is a good thing <laughs> probably you know it's like it'd be easy to just uh sit around and smoke weed all day yeah. it's five o'clock somewhere man or 4 20 <laughs> somewhere man yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think you know it's like i've always been the kind of person where it's like i don't just put all my eggs in one basket anyway because you know if one gig goes away you got to have something else to fill it so i'm always doing a bunch of things hmm. so it's uh, you know which the you know the current fantasy thing wound up evolving into a radio show i was going to say you're on radio now too yeah which is something i didn't plan for at all i was just i was just streaming to make myself happy and be able to get lost in music every day but uh, you know things took a turn that i had no idea would happen but it, you know it couldn't have happened had i not taken the route of that I you know I was doing. Mm -hmm. You're basically just taking your stream recordings and you're sending them off to a couple of radio stations and they put it in for an hour slot and is that how that works? Yeah, uh, my my friend uh Brian Webb who's uh from the Constantines runs the uh the Hawk 101.5 station out of Hamilton. Oh, awesome. And he he wrote me and he was like, "Hey man, he's like I'm digging the streams. He's like, are you interested in turning it into a radio show? I'll give you an hour." And you can just, you know, air your streams. And I was like, that's awesome. Fuck. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that would be awesome. So, uh, you know, I sent him one and then he was like, hey, you know what? I bet CFRU and Guelph uh, would be into this show as well. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I could just spread this around. And so I did it for Guelph. I just added Thunder Bay Amazing. last week. Yeah, I've got a list of, you know, radio stations. I'm doing it all myself. A uh, list of radio college radio stations that I'm just going to go through and send it off and be like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, ah, there's already three stations that are doing it, and that makes it a little bit more appealing for other yeah, stations. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. So what, you're on You're on CFRU in Guelph, Yep. the Hawk in Hamilton, and uh, what station in Thunder Bay? It's a CILU 102.7 FM. Fantastic, dude. That's amazing. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so I do like you know I I piece together the show and I do like a little intro. I'm starting to talk more uh, about that kind of thing. I just actually went and got myself a more decent mic than the like shitty uh, <laughs> 58 that I found under the stage uh, at the office that I was using. Awesome. <laughs> there was br- literally came from oh, under the if stage. If it smells if it smells like dog shit and puke, it was the drummer's mic. Uh, That's the one they always give us to sing into. So That's why it was under the stage actually, but no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that smell? Yes. <laughs> it's the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. Yeah, no, that's great, man. Uh, so you're busy with the streaming. You're busy with the radio. Um, yeah. Where else are you at right now? I, I actually just bought uh, all your stuff on Bandcamp. I saw yeah, that. Of course, Thanks, dude. Man. Yeah, no, it's it's so awesome, man. I spent the last week tripping out to it for sure. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, for sure. And I will be I will be into the future, into the future, into the future. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, you know, it's like the 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 releases. I wound up even like I didn't have anything. I was just playing and then that first band camp friday where they uh they waive the fees yeah and give everything to the artist popped up so i went through and i chose my favorite ones and put together you know a album of live stuff and had it for sale and band camp and then i you know threw that stuff all up on uh distro kid and spotify and all the other all the other streamers as well and there it is but uh, other than that i mean i got plans to actually do some you know studio recorded stuff Stuff that, you know, is sounds like me, like current fantasy as well. And uh, I'd like to, you know, do a, do a track or, you know, the kind of like the, the 808 state model of having, you know, the instrumental record with like two, maybe three uh, guest yeah, vocalists. Yeah, dude. On cool. Tracks. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, would be uh, awesome, actually. Yeah, I didn't get, get a little bit of like uh, you know, a mix of like the dub, like UB40, but then, yeah. You- Even, you know, like a band like a band like Slow Dive is a big influence for me, too. And uh, do a track, you know, that sounds like that. Again, you know, not necessarily sticking in one particular genre. Yeah, well, and you definitely get that from your album for sure. It traipses all across all sorts of really cool territories from like ambient to straight out dance music to you know almost more experimental techno like it's it's pretty seamless too, man. Like it doesn't just sort of like, oh, this is Jeff flipping gears. It's or switching gears, mm-hmm. he's. You feel like you're constantly moving in a direction, and I loved it. I thought it was great, man. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. So, is there anywhere else that our listener can can support you? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a, a Bandcamp is set up. That's you know, goes right to me, I guess. Uh, I think you know maybe just by following me in my different, uh, you know, like YouTube channel, uh, Instagram, Facebook, those kind of things. Yep. Building up followers spreads, you know, spreads it around more. Okay. So, and, and, you know, as I release tracks, it's nice. People do pick them up. I've, you know, I've made some money through that, which is, you know, surprising and good. That's awesome. It legitimizes it a little For bit. For sure. You know? And even another thing that just came up yesterday that I noticed was uh, SoCan announced a, a program called Encore, mm-hmm. where they were going to be paying people $150 per live stream oh wow if it meets certain requirements nice yeah so it'd have to be like more than a half hour long or you play 10 uh, of your own pieces in it and have 100 viewers wow and i think there was questions whether or not it was going to be 100 viewers at the time or it, it was kind of unsure but i submitted like 30 shows dating back well, i stopped in may because i didn't think it was going to work out but uh, i just got an awesome socan check Nice. Where they're they're pitching in for live streams, so it did it did pay something, and uh, it made me go out and buy a Moog uh, subharmonicon. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, keeping up with the again. gas. There you go. Uh, yeah. Good to know. Yeah, there there you go, listeners. Yeah, if you're if you're live streaming, get on a PRO, man. Yep, check it out. That's amazing. Yeah, good. Thanks for letting everyone know on that, dude. Uh, are you? Uh, yeah. Are you familiar with? Oblique strategies at all? Oblique strategies. Strategy. 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 Ah, yeah. You know, I've never dug into much Eno. Okay. Although I watched a great documentary on him a little while ago. So these are studio cards that him and Peter Schmidt created. Oh, yes. There's there's a little card in here. It says oblique strategies over 100 worthwhile dilemmas. And it was done originally in 75. 
<clears throat> it's it's a little corner Adam and I like to do in our show. It's something we use to torment our guests. <laughs> yes, because there's a ridiculous hey. voiceover that I did for it, which sounds ludicrous. So, yeah. But what we do is we I'll pick a card at random, and Jeff, you you get to answer it. Okay. And honestly, no, I'm not going through one like, oh, this is going to trip him up. I'm actually just randomly picking this one. Oh, okay. Jeff, yep. do we need holes? Do we need holes? Yes. Do we need holes? In the studio, dilemma, song, something's going on, everyone's butting heads. Do we need holes? <laughs> uh, yes, we need holes because if there's no holes, then there's nothing to put stuff in. Hmm. Mm, that is almost like that. existential. <laughs> it's like it's like Schrodinger's hole. <laughs> it's a hole but it's not actually there <laughs> what is in the hole and if it is in yes. the hole but you can't see it does it exist mm. and there's no cats in there or are there <laughs> cats that's a good yes. answer man actually i think that's probably Great the answer. best answer we've had so far to an oblique strategy card yet oh shit so Tim, yeah you're better at it than we are so <laughs> <laughs> definitely let's give him another one okay this is one word just one word accretion Bless you. That's it. That's all that's on the card. <laughs> not, not, not two cretions. No, not three cretions. A, a, accretion. Accretion. Hmm. I'm like manically googling right now what that actually means. <sighs> so, accretion is is the growth or increase by the gradual accumulation of additional layers of matter. Oh, geez. Sounds like gas to me. Yeah, <laughs> it does, right? Yeah. What do you think about accretion in the studio? Adding and adding and adding like a, like some sort of te- tectonic plate movement or something. Some So sometimes, uh, you know, it's fun to just add tons of shit and then take 80% of it away. And then maybe the stuff that you're left with wouldn't wind up being nice. what you would have put together had you not added all those layers. I like that. Like the vocals in uh, 1999 by Prince. Mm-hmm. So the verse vocals, four people taking one, and then there's like the group one. And I guess they recorded that all. All the vocals were all the harmonies all together. And then when they went in to put it together, they're like, oh, no, no, we'll just put one here. Wendy's there. Prince is there. And then so it was all the different parts of the chord. Nice. Made up the different parts, and then they put it together. So, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's you're two for two. That's great, man. <laughs> I think so. We should get him in the studio more often. He gets this card. Well, thing. he's obviously smarter than the hosts of this podcast, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's it, right? <laughs> Boom. It's because I live in Toronto, guys. Come on. Oh! <laughs> Ouchie! Although, yesterday, when driving around, I saw all what, what I can only describe as, like, West Coast hippies. Okay. A dready guy with like a thin beard wearing a dress and, you know, just like confused looking. <laughs> was he was he wearing a hat that looked like uh, an, an animal, like a, a weird sort of furry hat? Because I may know him. <laughs> yeah, I think he might be from Diamond Island. <laughs> Did he have shoes it, on? It totally looked like it looked like somebody like had like a, a plane full of guys from the islands and they just, you know, dropped them and they've come back here to live with their parents through the pandemic. And yeah, they just looked like, you know, nothing against the West coast, uh, but they looked like the West coast. (laughs) I'll admit there is a West coast look for sure. But then, but then, you know, not just to pick on you, Adam, uh, I'll pick on you too, Tim. All right. I lived in Montreal. uh, We were, we were hippies. We were a jam band and, uh, we started meeting uh, all these French girls yeah. that looked like hippies. They had like homemade corduroy, you know, dresses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as we got to know them, it's like they'd never heard of the Grateful Dead. They are all like kind of punk girls who hung out at like, uh, you know, Fufun Electric. Yeah, Fufun, yeah. <laughs> and it blew us away. The the like, it's like, wow, you look like all these hippies that we know. But yet, you know, it's the the French thing just kept them somehow. Uh, you know, unknowing of that side of it. It's an interesting. It's an interesting isolation. I mean, both Adam and I are from the Toronto area originally, and I've yeah. chosen to live here. I actually live north of Montreal now, up in the Laurentians. Yeah, but I actually moved there in two thousand three, and 
the isolation was was fun. I found that it was that there was a different vibe. That it wasn't just the same old, same old. Of course, I, I missed my time in uh, in Montreal. That was uh, that was good living. You probably enjoyed the cheap rents too back then. It's probably like two hundred bucks for an apartment at the time. So man, we we had a loft down at uh, uh, La Chair and Blurry, right across from from St. Patrick's uh, Basilica. Oh, there. wow. It's since been torn down, and it's just one of those facades. Mm-hmm. But it was like a 6,000-square-foot loft. We each had you know rooms that were like the size of an apartment. We had a freight elevator uh, where we could load all our gear in and out from, Yeah, and it was 1,500 bucks. Dude, that's like, that's out of like some weird movie. <laughs> like... It was just like that, it was like that show uh, Catwalk. Oh, catwalk. Adam, just to give you some perspective as to where the area that he just said he w- was at. Remember when you played the vinyl with Susan? Yes. With Girl Goes Electric? Yeah. That's literally around the corner from there, like steps away from where you played. Okay. All right. Like, all right. I 12, like that. 12 years ago. Yeah. 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 I love Montreal too. I have to admit. Oh, it was wild. Yeah. It was great. Cool, man. Well, listen, Jeff, this was really great. I'm, I'm really excited for you and your new project, Current Fantasy. Definitely to all of our listeners out there, go out, check out Current Fantasy on Bandcamp. We'll be posting links everywhere. Oh, um, we will, we will, we will link you all up, listeners. Yes, we will, we will link, link you, you up. all up. Where he's getting played on radio, all that good stuff. Thanks a lot, man, for coming on our little podcast, dude. We really appreciate uh, it. Thanks for having me, guys. That was that was fun. fun. That was really fun. Call me if you need a Simmons drummer in your next gig. <laughs> Well, it seems that, you know, you and I both, despite our own personalities, seem to know some really great people. (laughs) Just for our listener, our whole lives, our personalities, and sometimes our faces have been the hindrance to our success. Right? Yeah. 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 No, he's uh, Jeff is an awesome guy and and definitely be sure to check out his uh, his current fantasy stuff. Please, for the love of all things holy, he's amazing. Go, 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 go. As as he mentioned, too, in the interview, he's doing stuff on radio. Will you have posted links on our post here if you want to check him out on radio or check him out on Facebook? Uh, his stuff's awesome. So go and enjoy. Awesome. All of this talk about songs and songwriting, Adam, you know what that makes me think of? What does that make you think of, Tim? Bring out your dead songs. Yes, bring out your dad. Yes, songs, of course. Songs, of course. Well, it, yeah, I guess we're close to Halloween, so you could bring out your dead too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a <little> scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's some guy out there going like, "Ooh, I could use that in a sample pack." <laughs> yeah, he's totally going to sample that and make a beat out of it. Who, 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 who? So, anyways. Dead songs. What yeah. you got out there, folks? We've got a few submission from our listener. We do. And we're going to dedicate an entire episode because there's a couple of songs that Adam and I have been talking about recently that require a further, not a resurrection, because we did that with Acid Test already, uh. but <laughs> what they require is... They need an exhumation. Yes. Okay. Yes. An exhumation. We need you to bring us your songs because we are going to be talking about songs that have been revived and brought back from the dead, or maybe just they're just maybe they're just really smelly zombies. But we're going to play them anyways. Yeah. So zombies, werewolves, vampires—I can be particular too for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like anything that is undead musically. Yes, definitely. Send it to our barricaded house, and we will proceed to shotgun them on our. Yes, podcast with salt. We will <laughs> shotgun them with salt. Yes, because that's Silver what you bullets. do. Cool. There yeah, no, definitely send us some stuff. And like Tim mentioned, we're we're actually compiling an entire episode, and we're gonna put them on, and we're gonna pick it apart like a corpse being yes. attacked by so many zombies. We're going to be those vultures going, mmm, mm, tasty, tasty old songs. Brains, liver. Mm, <laughs> ah. Tim, this was a really fantastic episode. Uh, you know, again, aren't they all? Aren't they all, Adam? Really? I mean, like, it's just, 
It's just gold followed by more gold followed by more gold. It's the right? people so. that make this more special. You know what? If you're a listener and you're kind of put off by the fact that we just keep saying there's one listener and you're like, God damn it, I listen too. If you're one of those people, leave a comment yeah. on our iTunes and be like, hey, assholes, I'm a listener too. Yeah, and yeah. then give us like, I don't know, for that one you could give us maybe like three stars out of five. And, yeah, yeah. and you know what? We will earn those extra two stars and we will we will mention you on the stage and maybe we'll actually start referring to our listener in the plural. Perhaps. <laughs> it, if you give us a five star rating, we will name your name on the Internet. That's oh, right. Nobody does. That. Oh, wait, everybody does. that. Hang on. That's not much of a you'll get to feel part of it. Anyone see that movie Pontypool? Because that's like basically how I sort of feel right now. <laughs> <laughs> These guys just stuck in a room with headphones on. And is it zombies listening or is it is there is there anyone out there? Is there well, anyone out there? <laughs> please let us know if you're out there. Please. Please, please, we value your input. <laughs> please. So, Adam, I wish you the best of weeks. Yeah, you too, buddy. I'll catch you in our next episode, buddy. Don't you worry about it. Oh, don't worry about it. There will be much catching to be caught. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. Cue the sexy music. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.